0: We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered.
1: Welcome. I am Leslie Vernick here with Charlene Quint, who's a family law attorney and founder of Abuse Care, which is a non-denominational organization designed to help educate community and church leaders about domestic abuse as well as help victims move forward into prosperous and abuse-free lives. As a survivor herself, Charlene speaks from her extensive education as well as her personal experience. She's also the author of the book, Overcoming the Narcissist, Sociopath, Psychopath, and Other Domestic Abusers. That's a lot of overcoming, Charlene. (laughs) Welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're here with us.
2: Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Charlene, how did you ever get interested as a family law attorney into this topic of the narcissist, sociopath, psychopath, and domestic abuser? How did you ever get interested in these people and this topic?
2: Well, that's a great question. Um, I uh, have not been a family attorney my whole life. I was a, a corporate attorney for for many years after going to law school and, and uh, having been a, a law clerk to a federal judge. But I switched gears after i went through my own experience with an abusive marriage and um just i had to find out what happened um i just had a lot of questions like what you know what was going on here I, i did everything i possibly could to make my marriage work i went to counselors i read the bible i prayed i have tons of of um books on, on marriage and nothing seemed to be working and it got worse over time. And anyway, I, I finally had to um, leave that that marriage and it was just horrific, um, the whole process of, of that. And um, on the other side, I, I thought, I've got I've to find out what happened. And um, so I did just a ton of research on what I was going through, what I had gone through and what other women had gone through. I mean, I, I did literally thousands of hours of research. And I realized that I was blessed because one, I had a, a law degree and an ability to support myself. And um, I just felt that I needed to use that to help other women get out because that is such a huge um, roadblock for many women trying to, to get out of abusive marriages. Um, just not having you know, the ability to pay attorneys uh, to get out and to represent them well so that's when i started my own law firm Um, god and i had a a long discussion about that actually um i had wanted to go back into maybe teaching or serving at a at a christian college i had served on the board of regents um at a a christian university and i thought wow that would be great to Go back to teaching, and and then um, God literally called me to this, um, this position of helping get other women, you know, representing them in the courtroom, um, and then He called me to write this book and um, really bring the message that so many Christian women need to hear. So, uh,
1: well, I am so thankful for you because we have in our group in Conquer thousands of women who are in this situation where you know, they're not sure how to find a good attorney. They're not sure the attorney really understands You know how to fight a narcissist, how to counsel them well to what to fight for and what not to fight for, because, of course, they want to win over everything. And so there is a strategy that has to be taken into account in dealing with custody and dealing with finances and dealing with all of the other things so that you're not in war the rest of your life. So I think God used your experience to take you to a place where you can serve others, which God often does. He takes a story that's horrible from hell and turns it into something that is good and can be used for his glory. So thank you for listening to him and using your pain and transforming it into service to help others in their pain. So I appreciate that.
2: Well, it's a privilege. As, as you know, when you say yes to God, he, uh, he opens doors that you'd never thought would be opened and um, gives you a life that you never thought you'd had. And it's all such a blessing. So it's, it's really a privilege. that uh, he even lets me be on his team.
1: So, Charlene, talk about what are the three R's of truth and the three R's of abuse. Well, I like to say that
2: that when women recognize and reject and replace the lies that we believe with God's truth, we will recognize and remove and recover from abuse. So the three R's of truth is you know recognizing rejecting and replace lies with truth. And the three R's of abuse, as I have in my book, is the recognizing, removing, and recovering from abuse. That's the process that each woman has to go through to go from um, bondage in abuse to freedom on the other side.
1: Um, I think that's really powerful because if we can't see it, if we can't recognize it, Then we can't remove it it's sort of like you know when your girlfriend tells you you have lipstick on your teeth you didn't notice and so you can't even remove it until you're told that you have it and so recognizing the problem and some of the problem is me i've been too naive i've been too trusting i've been um you know believing lies that aren't true and i know they're not true but i'm scared to not believe them all that kind of stuff once our eyes are open and we start to recognize then it's really important to know, like, then how do we remove it? How, how, what do we remove? How do we remove it Um, so that we can begin to recover? What, what would be some of that process?
2: Well, you know, the, the first process, like, as we talked about is, is just recognizing that, that you're in abuse. So many Christian women um, don't recognize that, that what they are in is, is actually an abusive relationship because you know, we're groomed, um, for, if you're raised in the church, you were groomed to, um, to not stand up for yourself and to, you know, give the other person, particularly a, a, a man, um, the, um, you know, the go ahead. And so, so what we would call, oh, well, maybe he's just had a bad day or maybe he has a big personality or, um, you know, the alpha male or he's high maintenance. That's about as much as we go, but we don't recognize that so many of those uh, destructive behaviors are, are abusive. And and so you know the first step is, learn what abuse is and what it and what it isn't. So that's really the first the first step when when it feels icky, um, and you you know it's not right. You can't really put your finger on it. Do a little digging, and you know we have the internet now, so you can find a lot of stuff on the internet um, on what's what's healthy and what's not healthy.
1: Yeah. When I wrote my book, The Emotionally Destructive, first the one on relationship and then the emotionally destructive marriage, I specifically didn't use the word abuse because so many women would have said, oh, that's not me. Now they, right. sort of, they could sort of recognize I'm, I'm feeling destroyed or I'm feeling you know, broken. I can relate to destructive, but I can't even wrap my Head around the possibility that I am being abused.
0: Absolutely it right. It's so hard. Absolutely.
2: And I was one of them. Uh, I think I was out of my out of my marriage for probably two years uh, when I was describing a situation to a, a friend of mine, and and she listened to it, and she goes, "That's abusive," and that's the first time I actually heard those words and said. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what it is. It's abusive. And, um, I applaud you for using destructive. That is a, as a, as a descriptor versus abusive, because you're right. Many, many don't think it's abuse. And so I've kind of used the word toxic or harmful or unhealthy. Um, but yeah, many, many, particularly Christian women don't want to admit we're in abuse.
1: One of the things I tell women is you're, you're, usually feel it. You just said it yourself that you feel something's off. Something's not right. I I feel scared or I feel like I'm being deceived or I feel like I don't know what's up. I feel gaslighted. I feel confused. And you might not label that as abusive behavior. You don't know it yet, but you do know that you feel icky, that you feel demeaned and disrespected and depleted, all those kind of things that you're feeling. And it's not just, once in 25 years. It's like a regular pattern of this feeling of controlled or confused or overruled. You don't have a choice, a voice. Um, so those are the first signs to say, all right, let's investigate, let's pay attention, let's be curious about what's really going on and start to ask some questions so that your eyes might be open and you might be able to see.
2: Absolutely. Um, and I think those promptings are, are the Holy Spirit in us telling us something's not right. Um, mm-hmm. Whenever we have those those feelings, like this isn't safe, something's not right. I, I, I can't put my finger on it, but normal people shouldn't be doing this. That's, that's when we need to investigate your right. And I do think the Holy Spirit prompts us to and gets us to that point where we open our eyes.
1: Okay, so then our eyes are open and we've got our hand over our mouth saying, OMG, like now what? Like I'm in deep doo-doo and I have no idea what to do next. And so yes. the fear gets overwhelming. The biblical God hates divorce kind of mantra comes into your head. So what's the next step? Because sometimes we're afraid to see. It's almost like getting a lump in your breast. I don't really want to know because then I have to do something about it. Um, exactly.
2: And, and that's why we spend so long in that denial it can't it, it, because once you admit it then you do have to do something about it um so yeah the, the whole process of removing yourself uh from abuse is a, is a really difficult a difficult process and <laughs> there's a lot of things that that keep us there um again lies that we tell ourselves that that keep us from getting ourselves out for example we'll say well I'm, I'm praying and and God's going to zap him and turn him into good. I've been praying for, you know, for years and this is going to happen. But the reality is that God doesn't go around zapping people um, in making them into good people. He, You know, that's that's not how he does things, but he does equip his people to get out of those abusive situations. So I, I tell women all the time, this redemption story of yours is probably not going to be like Paul. He's not going to. Uh, get zapped it's going to be like the exodus story where um god equips moses and the people of israel he doesn't change pharaoh's heart pharaoh's just the same as he always was but we're going to get you out it's going to be a long process there's a desert to go through but thank god 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 has a promised land on the other side ready for us to go to a land of peace and rest but yes it has giants in it but he's promised to go with us and fight the giants with us. So that's really the redemption story. That's the process we have to know of, of, of getting out. You know, another thing that keeps women from from removing themselves is, is that, oh, well, he can change with therapy. And that's another, you know, lie that we tell ourselves that, you know, if we go to enough marriage therapists and counselors that he's going to change. But again, um, you only you, people only change when they want to change and abusers don't, don't want to change. And so that's really, that's not going to help. Uh, either. Yeah, abuse,
1: Abusers tend to tend never to see themselves as abusive. They don't see themselves as the problem. They see you as the problem. Of course. And so, yeah. and so this is, this is the real tricky mind game that once you recognize, wow, I'm being treated poorly. Then what we tend to do as women, just because we're Christian women is, oh, what am I doing wrong that he's treating me this way? How can I stop being so argumentative? Or how can I be more submissive? Or how can I be more um, accepting or loving or less critical? And you can do all those things. And there may be some wake-up calls for you in terms of your character and how you show up in places. But at the end of the day, you can't make anybody do anything. You can't make him abuse you, and you can't make him not abuse you.
2: That's and right. So th-
1: this is so important for women to grasp because somehow we take the role of the rescuer, the fixer, the enabler, because we it's our fault. He's this way or it's our fault and our responsibility to get him to change. And you can't make anybody do anything. Someone can pe- provoke you, provoke you, provoke you. And you decide how you're going to handle that. And so you decide whether you're going to speak and speak the truth and love. Even as a parent, are you going to handle your kid in a good way or a bad way? Your kid can, can aggravate the tar out of you and you have to decide how you're going to show up as a parent. And so you can't make him abuse you and you can't make him want to stop abusing you.
2: Absolutely. Um, and I, I tell my clients all the time, cause they, they, they have this guilt that well if I had done this, or if I had been prettier or thinner or more sexy or gone to more counseling, I, I, you know, things would have turned out different. And I, I try to, you know, I, I tell each one there's nothing you could have done that would have saved this marriage, because relationships with with abusers always end badly, um, very badly. And th- there's nothing you could have done. They're, it's their choice. We have to recognize that as in order to give ourselves permission to, you know, remove ourselves from from abuse. Um, I think another miss, huge misunderstanding is um, the word forgiveness, uh, which abusers will say constantly. Well. You, if you're a Christian, you have to, you know, you have to forgive me and for, you know, forgive and forget and, um, and stay in this relationship. And wow, that I think forgiveness is one of the most misunderstood words in the English language and the Christian language. Forgiveness doesn't mean that it's okay that you have to go back into a relationship, that you can't protect your rights or even go to court. It means that you let God do his avenging and even God's, requires repentance before he, before he forgives and comes into a relationship with us. That's throughout the Bible. Our hearts have to be repentant to have a relationship with God. And if we are to have a relationship with someone who's hurt us, um, their hearts have to be repentant, not just, I'm sorry, that's maybe the first step, but, you know, a truly repentant heart means I'm sorry, I'm going to say it publicly, uh, you know, like Paul did in his letter to Timothy. I am the worst of the sinners and look what God did for me. So he he, he puts that publicly, not just privately to her. He puts her back in a better position that she was, right? It makes her whole and has a complete turnaround of, of his heart for an extended period of time. I, I think Christian women are all too eager to forgive and forget and, you know, stay in these really horrible relationships and without requiring repentance on, on, uh, on the abuser's part.
1: Yeah, when we think of Paul, you know, he changed. He didn't keep persecuting Christians. Exactly. He, didn't think, he didn't think the way he thought. He didn't live the way he lived. He had a change of heart. He had a change of habit. He changed his mind, and he lived differently. And so actions, you know, John the Baptist confronted the Pharisees when they were trying to get baptized, and he said, hey, prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sin and turned to God. And so words are pretty empty in these kind of situations. And for women to just trust someone's, I'll change, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. You know, the proof is in the pudding. And if they keep repeating it over and over again, that's what we call an abusive relationship. There's an abusive incident. Sometimes all of us can be capable of saying bad words, treating someone disrespectfully, you know, smacking someone in anger, including our children. But understanding that when we do that, we're horrified because that's not who we want to be. That's not how we want to show up. And that's not how we want to treat people we love. And so we repent and we don't repeat that behavior. So someone might be capable of an abusive incident, a lying, cheating, awful stuff. But if they're repeating those things in which we're talking about an abusive relationship, they repeat them over and over again. They make excuses. They blame you. They deny. They rationalize. They don't own it. They don't stop it. And so there is no hope for a good relationship with someone that you're scared of and that you don't trust.
2: Absolutely. When, when, it's a lifestyle of, of abuse, um, that's, mm-hmm. that's very different from the, you know, occasional, we slip up, we feel bad and we don't do that again. And in fact, i I'm always thankful for, for John in the Bible because he tells it like it is. You know, we, we read in 1 John 3. So this is how you can tell the children of God versus the children of the devil. The children of God, they just can't go on sinning because the Holy Spirit convicts them and you have to stop. But, you know, the enemy's children, they keep, they just keep on sinning and, and they, they're not repentant. And so it's very clear which camp people are on.
1: Charlene, what do you think is the biggest thing that you have found that keep Christian women from actually growing through this? They open their eyes, they recognize it, but what stops them from becoming the overcoming, strong, victorious woman that God designed them to be? I think of that Proverbs 31 woman that says, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future unafraid. What stops Christian women from growing into that kind of woman?
2: I really think it's it's the lies that we believe about God, that we believe about relationships, that we believe about ourselves, that we believe about being able to have a, a victorious future. I mean, we, we believe these self-defeating lies and that keeps us from from being that. I I tell people when you actually see yourself the way God sees you, that's when you're healed because he sees us as these wonderful creatures that he's designed, and he loves us, and we're, you know, we're made in his image, and we're, uh, we have these unique, wonderful qualities designed to, to live this abundant, fulfilling life, and surrounded with good, with good people to bring something to the world that nobody else can, that's how he sees us, and when we see ourselves like that, that's, um, that's when we become overcoming strong and victorious, but um, I think that keeps, so many of us back, we don't see ourselves as God sees us. We we don't we take everybody else's opinion and put those on a on a pedestal. And in fact, the number one opinion, the only opinion that we should ever care about is what's God's opinion of us. Mm-hmm. And when that becomes the only thing we we care about, and no, nobody else's opinion, that's that's when we become these strong, victorious women that overcome.
1: Yeah, one of the things I say to women is that oftentimes the mis- biggest error that we've been taught theologically, I think, not on purpose, not even intentionally, I don't think, but I believed it, and I think others do too, is that we have become man-centered women. Like Leah, if you don't love me, I will die. In the Old Testament, when Rachel, when Jacob loved Rachel and he didn't love Leah, she, if you don't love me, I will die. Like all my value, all my worth. All my well-being is dependent on you validating and loving and wanting me. And if you don't, I am like a plant that just falls over. And, you know, a plant is meant to be a sun-centered plant, that we're to, to rise up to the sun and get our nourishment from the sun and the roots and the water. And we're not to be, you know, dependent on others to nourish us. They, of course, God uses others to nourish us, but our ultimate Person who nourishes us and speaks life over us and tells us who we're to be is God. And Amen. when we give that power to someone else, we are going to become deformed.
2: Yes, absolutely. You said that so very, so very well. Um, we we need to have our focus on God and and His opinion and and who we are. And and I think some we get that you know from from teachings in church. Oftentimes, where for example. In Genesis, God made the first woman and he called her an Ezer Konegdo, which is like an equal yet opposite force, saving force in this man's life. And we somehow that got mistranslated as oh, you're a second class citizen and you're just there to support him and whatever he does. But guess what? God has a plan for us too. Every single person that he puts on the planet, man or woman, he has this amazing plan for us to partner with him to bring heaven to earth. You know, we, we pray that prayer, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're part of that plan. <laughs> he wants to partner with us to, to bring heaven to earth. Um, he didn't just say, Oh, well, I'm going to partner with the man and here you, you help him out. But he's, he wants each one of us to, you know, the, the, the old Testament and Joel says, I will put my spirit on men and women. And um, so, yeah, we've got to, we've got a big part to play in god's in god's plan for bringing goodness to the world.
1: Yeah, I love that. I'm just been reading in Genesis, you know, and how god said we are his image bearers. And mm-hmm. when we really believe that, like I am his image bearer, we don't let another mere mortal tell us who we are. We know who we are. We are god's image bearer. And so we want to be That And when someone, you know, that little song we sang in church, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Don't let someone blow it out. Don't let Satan, don't let your husband, don't let your pastor. I mean, sometimes we let people blow out our light and make us feel worthless because they don't value us and they may not value us. But when God tells us we are his image bearers and to let your light shine, that's a mandate. Yep. we're called to do that. And when we let someone who's even a husband blow our light out and we call that submission and we call that a godly marriage, that's just not true.
2: That's, that is absolutely true. And, and so, so many times that the scriptures are misused um, to, to keep women in those doormat, <laughs> submit, you've got to be, do anything I tell you when you're a doormat and I, you know, you live to serve me. And that's not what God had, had in mind, but That's unfortunately um, taught in, in many churches or, and we, you know, we have to, again, get to the truth and reject those lies.
0: What an incredible conquer launch we had this month. Nearly a thousand women joined this incredible support group and are on the way to gaining confidence, peace, and strategy in their destructive relationships. If you are one of them, welcome and congratulations on making such an important step for you and your family. Maybe you're still in a place of wondering if your marriage is difficult, disappointing, or if it's really destructive. Leslie has a quick start guide that will help you answer that question. Not only that, if you find your marriage is destructive, this guide will have concrete answers on your next steps. Go to leslievernick.com forward slash start to get your free quick start guide. And please know this, you are seen, you are heard, and friend, you are valued.
1: So besides the lies that we believe about ourselves, like I'm not strong enough, or I'm not good enough, or i am it's my fault, what are some of the lies that other lies that women believe that keep them from healing, that keep them from their own growth? Because this is so important, ladies. Sometimes we blame our parents, or we blame our husband, or we blame some, someone else for our lack of growth. And yet... We're the one who's believing the lies. And so when we recognize them and we can identify them, we have choices to make. God calls us to renew our mind with the truth. So absolutely. All of us are going to believe lies.
2: Right. Oh, absolutely. And we, we have to identify them and, and say, no, that, that's not that's that's not God's that's not God's truth. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that keeps us is thinking that um, but divorce is a sin, and so we walk around with this guilt and shame that that we've that you know if we've left we're we we can't heal and and that you know God's mad at us and and we that's, failed we failed we, we failed and um that's a whole discussion in itself but but divorce um you know God commands us I I, I look at First Timothy three uh such a powerful powerful description of abusive Behavior and uh, what they're like, and then at the end it says, "Have nothing to do with them." Paul gives us a command, and after he describes how dangerous these people are, it says, "Have nothing to do with them." And I think when we disregard that command, which is given for our own safety, we do it at our peril, um, because they are so dangerous. That is why that is why Paul said, "Have nothing to do with them." And it doesn't, it doesn't make an exception. It doesn't say, "Well." for everybody else they're really dangerous don't have anything to do with them but for the poor wife well you were stuck with them for the rest of your life to be you know abused and shamed and guilted and and um yeah god doesn't love you but everybody else he loves <laughs> he doesn't say that he says have nothing to do with them so i think knowing that god wants us to to have no contact with these people that have been so destructive to us is is one a very important first step in, in healing because some people think well I'm a Christian I should be friends I should I should have some contact I should try to be nice but you know that's a that's a boundary that God that God gives us so that's one of the lies that keep us from um, from moving forward in in our healing is is having contact um, with them I think another lie that we believe is is that we're always going to be in fear and doubt and anxiety and you know God, tells us that's not from him. You know, I haven't given you that the spirit of fear. I've given you a, a spirit of, of love and uh, and confidence. And and we, you know, we need to lean into that because God says he, he goes before us. Um, so those are a couple of, of, of things. I think we believe what our abuser says about us and his I call them the, the minions. <laughs> you know, they have their their little support group, and then who who supports the abuser and and then says bad things about us. And again, we if we believe those instead of what God says about us, we're not going to heal. So we need to reject those lies and replace them with God's truth. What He says is true about us. Those are just you know a couple things that keep us from healing. Um, what do you find, Leslie, that that in your clients, some that keep keep people from healing?
1: I think the biggest thing, if I were to think of a theme that keeps women from healing, is their lack of ownership of their own life. Mm. They've sort of given kind of a, again, maybe the whole teaching on submission, the whole devaluing of women as image bearers. And I don't think it's done intentionally, but I think kind of women have let themselves be overly dependent on others to do their thinking for them. To, yeah. you know, to, for their pastor to tell them what to think, and for their husband to tell them what to think, and for the book to tell them what to think. And, you know, you can read, you know, watch the internet, you can get 50 different opinions on what's happening politically and everything else. And what the Lord tells us is, He has given you not the spirit of fear, but the spirit of love and power and of a sound mind. Yeah. And it is your responsibility to renew your mind with the truth. No one can do that for you, but you. It is your responsibility yes. to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. No one can do that for you, but you. And it's your responsibility to guard your heart above all else, for it is the wellspring of life. And so I just encourage women, and one of the things I do with, with women that we work with is really teach them to think for themselves.
2: Absolutely, Because we've been
1: told a bunch of lies and some of them, I mean, even the lies of our culture right now, it's easy to kind of jump on the bandwagon of this or that, or this fat or that fat. And ultimately we have to discern who's telling us the truth, what the truth is, the truth will set us free. And God calls us to walk in the truth. He says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And it's our responsibility to be able to learn to discern truth from lies. And um, we can have some people we like that we listen to, but ultimately at the end of the day, if they fool us and they keep lying to us and we keep believing them, we're going to get hurt. And so it's important for us to, even for people who listen to me or people who listen to you, for you to do your own work and study the scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, he will lead you in all truth. And when you're aware, I remember a very poignant time in my life when my mom was particularly verbally abusive to me. I was an adult. And I remember crying, sitting on the step, just sobbing, like, why won't my mom love me? Why doesn't she care about me? Why does she treat me this way? There is no why to that question. There is no answer. But I was in a fit of, you know, self-pity and sorrow over what she was saying to me. And Charlene, the Lord said to me really clearly, and this was a big change in my healing. Well, you can believe her or you can believe me. And it was like, (laughs) boing. You know, it was almost like he smacked me upside the head and said, "Right, her or you can believe me? Decide, girl, decide this day. Are you going to choose life or are you going to choose death? And it was such a powerful moment. I mean, it was like very powerful. And I was like, Oh, you mean I even have a choice? It was—it was just like that shocking that once I said I don't have to believe this, that I'm worthless. Or I mean, I, the truth was she didn't love me, but it didn't mean I was unlovable. It didn't right. mean that my right. life was over. It didn't mean that I was unworthy. And when I really heard the Holy Spirit say, "I made you for a reason, and you are my delightful daughter," yes, yes. it was like, oh, <laughs> it was just yeah. like.
2: I got right. a rock in my
1: back, I could dry off my tears, and that was the beginning of a, a big step of forward growth for me.
2: All of those Bible verses that you just quoted and all those truths that you just said, we have, you know, I, I, I might be the only attorney that does this, but I do facilitate a support group. It's a Bible study, and we go through that. And, and yeah, God, you're not unlovable, and you can't, you can't believe what they're saying because abusers are liars. Right. That, I tell them, you know, how to, these are is lying and they, you know, they come up close and say, yeah, how do you, can you and get their pen in hand? And like when their lips are moving, they're lying. So so we need to believe what God says about us. You're absolutely right. And and the whole discerning, I find that the women in my um, support groups or the women that I represent or those that that follow me, Oh, they this the most wonderful women you would ever want to meet. They are mm-hmm. kind and generous and giving and forgiving. And they have these wonderful Christian qualities that they've been honing their whole lives, trying to be these amazing Christian women. And they are, but the one quality that they need to use their muscles on is discernment, discernment of, of what's good and what's evil and and staying away from the, the evil because they want to, they take that Philippians passage as, as truth. Like, if it's good and lovely and noble, think about those things. And so they, they do, and, but they forget to think about, well, there's some other things that we need to think about and recognize. And Hebrews tells us that discernment, just being able to discern good from evil is a mark of spiritual maturity and yeah. so we we have to develop those discernment muscles um, and that's one of the the hard things that women really have to learn as they heal is 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 like i need to recognize this when it when it comes and i can't just think it's all puppies and butterflies right so that's mm-hmm. a, that's a big thing and the other yeah, thing i think that's,
1: that's so true and i think there is a naivety to sometimes the feminine virtues in christianity that that's yes, all we need but we do need some some backbone and muscles too. We, we don't want to just be nice. We need to be firm mm-hmm. and strong and discerning. And this verse in Hebrews that you have referred to, that we discern good from evil. And that only comes from maturity because sometimes evil looks good. Jesus warns us about that, that the angel of light was Lucifer and that we need to be able to discern someone who's looking good, who really is a wolf in sheep's clothing and that's that discernment. And as you were talking, I was thinking about how God has even given us b- our body to discern how many of you have like eaten something and you discerned when you put it in your mouth, This is something's wrong with this. The milk is spoiled or the yogurt's old or the cheese is rotten and, and you can right. taste the mold. You didn't see it, but it went in your mouth and before you swallowed it, your body just went, you know, you just spit it right out. Right. That's discernment, your body is wired. When you're high alert, around someone. That's discernment. Maybe I'm not safe. Maybe there's danger. The hairs on your arms go up, your stomach clenches. These are your body's warning signals. So if your body has discernment and as you grow, you learn other discernment, like I'm discerning, I might have to vomit. I'm discerning. I've got to go to the bathroom. We're discerning all kinds of things. Why can't we discern someone who's not telling us the truth? Someone who's um, gaslighting us? Someone who's manipulating us. We can, and we should, and we need to.
2: Right. And, and that's the whole process of, of, of learning about this so that you can identify and recognize, uh, because, because that's powerful when you can <laughs> identify, uh, a, an abusive tactic, uh, you know, as someone's doing it to you, you can say, oh, okay, that is, that is gaslighting and that's powerful. And you can, you know, you can say, it's not me, it's, it's that person. And that's not a safe person. I need to remove myself. Um, I I think the other thing that the Christian women in particular have a hard time with is establishing boundaries. And that's something that Jesus tells us that we need to do as well throughout the, throughout the Bible. But then we we think as Christians, oh, well, that's mean, or that's unchristian, or, but that's not, that's not the truth at all. We, it's every healthy person establishes healthy boundaries uh, around themselves. And um, you know, Jesus said, Well, we don't throw pearls to swine because they'll trample the pearls and then go attack you. And that's exactly what abusers do. If you're, you know, throw out your kindness, your pearls of kindness to an abuser, they don't appreciate them, They're, they'll trample them, and then they'll blame you for being kind. So, we, you know, we that's one example in the Bible. We, we also hear that we're supposed to, um, you know, if someone doesn't accept us, um, we don't go grovel and beg for them to accept us, we just Leave them and wipe the dust off our feet and, and move on. Jesus never grovelled with the Pharisees as say, "Oh, please listen to listen to this; it's a good message." No, you, you know, if you accept it, great, but I will take it to someplace else and someone else who has an open heart. And we need to learn some of those good boundaries ourselves. That's another um, that's another thing that keeps women from healing is you know working on those boundary muscles, and
1: mm-hmm. we need to uh,
2: we, we need to do that.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you find this, but I find people pretty confused about boundaries. They think it's about someone else. Like, okay, <laughs> you can't talk to me that way. You know, well, that blows up in your face because you can't control them. You can only control you. So it's sort of like saying you can't blow smoke in my face. Well, yes, they can. If they're smoking, they can blow it right in your face. And so a boundary isn't about them. It's about you. Wow, if he blows smoke in my face, I'm not going to drive with him. I'm not going to hang out with him. I'm not going to be in the same room with him. Those are your boundaries of what you will do and what you won't do and what you will receive and what you won't receive and what you will tolerate and what you won't tolerate. And- that's really important because that helps you identify who you are and who you're not.
2: Yeah, no. Yeah. And I think you're right. Women, women confuse uh, boundaries with what you're going to make somebody else do with, with what I'm I'm going to do. If this happens, this is what I will do because we can't control anybody else. You're, you're absolutely right. The boundaries are kind of a, a confusing thing for some people, but it's, it's necessary because then we can remove ourselves from uh, unsafe situations or unsafe people. And, and, um, and that's something we can control, right? The other thing I think is, is, and you touched on it, is that, um, we've given our power or our, our, our direction in life to somebody else. And so one of the things I work on with, with my clients is developing their own mission statement. Mm -hmm. This is not helping your husband in his career. This is what did God make you for on this planet? What, why has He created you, and what are you going to give to to the world? How are you uniquely made, and how does your passions and your gifts and your talents and your experiences, how do those all roll into what God wants you to do and, and the purpose for this next stage in life? And sometimes people think, well, I'm I'm too old to do this, you know, and they're like, no, you're never too old as long as you have breath on this planet. God has a mission for you. You have a, a purpose. And so we work on literally writing mission statements where we think the Holy Spirit is leading us. And, and you know, just having that purpose and having the Holy Spirit guide that process is, it, it's huge. It, it's huge. And then we work on writing, um, you know, not just mission statements, but vision statements. Where do I want to be in five years or 10 years so that you and the Holy Spirit can look out into the future and where, you know, God is planning for you. And, and also, um, a value statement, like this is the code I'm going to live by. And, and those are super empowering. Um, when you have a, you know, a, a focus going forward, not only does it keep you focused, it's kind of your North star to direct us, but it also keeps us from getting, involved in in a whole lot of other things we don't need to get involved in um Mm -hmm. i find that that women who are very capable get asked to do a lot of things and so we we have to be able to say no i i can bake cookies for you know the pta or whatever but is that my highest and best use of my time or is that two hours better spent on me helping another woman out of abuse and and uh So so we it helps us to say no to things, even good things, so that we can say yes to the best things that God has for us.
1: I love that. And Jesus had to do that, too, as Jesus was confined to a human body. He had to say no to things so he could say yes to other things. And I think those are the boundaries. Those are, I, I recognize my boundaries. I'm limited in my time. I'm limited in my energy. I'm limited in my money. I'm limited in my, you know, in my talents. And so where did God give me this and where am i to spend it and for what good purpose and really discerning that and figuring that out Mm -hmm. so that you're having a life well lived and a life of purpose and meaning and not just existing in order to as an object just to serve other people i mean service is wonderful if that's what god's calling you to do and it can be a distraction if god's calling you to serve in different areas or something else or it might be someone else's purpose for you but not god's purpose for you
2: i I and maybe you find this as well, but I, I find many women kind of find themselves in, in, in midlife and they haven't, because they haven't lived intentionally, it's it's almost like a, a ship floating around without a rudder. It's they kind of get tossed here and tossed there. And I, th- I think if we know from an early age, and I would love for us to teach this in high school and college, like, know your purpose, know your mission so that you can set your course. Yeah.
1: And I don't think maybe you would want to chime in on this, Charlene. I don't think we can know our mission and purpose fully until we know ourselves. And so, you know, if I know that God has called me to be an oak tree or if I know that God's called me to be a a, a rose bush, then I'm not stressing out trying to be a watermelon. I'm not stressing out trying to be what you might want me to be. That I know that I'm not. And I don't feel shame about that. An oak tree can't be a watermelon. A watermelon can't be a rose bush. And so God has put a purpose in each seed that He's created. He's put a purpose in that seed. You're to die to yourself as a seed not to become annihilated and nothing but you're to die to yourself in the maturing process so that you are no longer a seed now you're becoming what i created you from the foundation of the earth to become and that is part of our maturity as you talked about we don't know that at birth and we might not even know that at 18 or 20 but as we're paying attention to what what we value, you've talked about discerning our values. How I make a decision for my life, as I say, does it align with my values? If not, no. Does it align with my purpose? Because now I know my purpose, but I might not have known my purpose earlier, but, and I didn't, but it, I, I knew my values. Does it align with my purpose? And does it make my heart sing? I used to think that God was going to make me like go to Africa and eat bugs and have no blow dryer. And I thought, oh, I don't think I'd like that life. God, please don't make it. <laughs> And, you know, he didn't because it didn't make my heart sing. And so I think part of what God has put in our people love going to Africa and eating bugs and living in the wilderness. That's what makes their heart sing. And that's why God's called them to do that. Thank God he didn't ask me to do that. And sometimes we have this idea of God that you're going to make me do the worst thing that I would hate. And I will just have to suffer for you the rest of my life because that's what you call me to do. And I don't think that's what God is for.
2: Yes. And, and, you know, it's, it's so true. We like, think, Oh, God's got this horrible plan for my life, but no, he's got this great plan for, for our lives. And, you know, in Proverbs, it says that he's, he would give us the desires of our heart because he put those desires in us. Um, so yeah, he, he, he gives us, it may not be what we thought, but it's going to be better in, in most cases, than than, than what we could, possibly have imagined mm-hmm. um, so, so yeah he, he will put you right where you need to be where all your uh, the way he has made you and your talents and your natural personality and your gifts all get to shine i think one of the things that that we often uh, you know speaking of missions and, and plants we we often think well those have to be all pushed aside once I get married because, you know, if I get married, you know, my stuff ends and I have to do whatever, you know, my my husband and just support his career. But I think we forget that, you know, one of the purposes of marriage is, you know, to become this two person mission team, you know, that we serve each other, but we also serve those around us and we serve our communities and we serve, you know, the
1: world. When you get married, the we that is established is a healthy you and a mm-hmm. healthy me mm-hmm. yep. creates a healthy we yep. and we are going to encourage each other to be the best person that we can be. That's the that's the definition of a helpmate. So we yep. so the definition of a good godly woman who's a helpmate is not someone who covers over her husband's sin. If he had a black mole on his back, you would tell him because you are his helpmate.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But women often feel like, oh, I can't tell him he's being destructive because that'll hurt his ego. Yes, it will hurt his ego, but it may save his life, right? And so this, yeah. is, this is the important message that in order for you to be a healthy helpmate, you have to be healthy. He has to be healthy. You cannot create a healthy family if either one of you are unhealthy. And yeah. so part of your work is to do the, the things that we've been talking about, recognize the lies, Do your own work. Mature into who God's calling you to be. Speak the truth in love. Be your husband's helpmate. Now, whether or not he listens, Jesus couldn't control Judas. Judas didn't listen. Jesus couldn't control the rich young ruler. He didn't listen. He didn't do what Jesus said. But Jesus tried to help them. He tried to speak to them. So we can do that. You can't make someone want to grow. You can't make someone see the truth. You can invite them and that's all you can do, but you can't even do that if you're afraid of their reaction. And so you don't. And right. so your best opportunity to save your marriage and your own life is to do your own work, to mature like Charlene is talking about. Recognize where you're unhealthy instead of focusing on his unhealthiness. Recognize your own stuff. I remember meeting a woman, Charlene, who was married to a narcissistic man. She, I don't think she was an attorney, but we were at a business conference and she said, It was the best thing that ever happened to her. She's described him as a narcissistic, sociopathic husband. She goes, he taught me so much about me. I was too passive. I was too accommodating. I was too nice. I was too forgiving. I had no boundaries. Oh my gosh, I needed to grow up.
0: Yeah,
1: Yeah. And that was what she got out of that marriage. And she said the marriage didn't last, but I grew up. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I thought, wow, what an interesting perspective on that, that she took those lessons and applied them to the areas in her life where she was naive or she was immature or she was not thinking truthfully and she saw it as a good thing. Right,
2: and you know what? That's actually, I think, a healthy perspective to say, okay, this didn't work out, but I'm going to use that to learn and to grow because that, you know, as we were talking about things that inhibit Healing, the the poor me's, the poor the victim mentality is that I'm I, I'm a victim and all this, and and, and and then that becomes our identity. That is one thing that keeps women from healing, and yeah. like it, we have to say no. We we are not going to be victims. We're going to learn from this, um, and we're going to we're going to grow and heal. But I always tell women you have to make healing your top priority, right. um, because if, if if you don't. Five years from now, you're still not going to be healed if you don't do that. You're you're still going to be suffering. And you need to be healed and whole not just for yourself, but for your children. And if you ever want to enter in another relationship, you, as you said, it, it takes two healthy people to have a healthy marriage. And so we have to make healing our number one priority. Yeah, I and couldn't just- agree
1: with you more yeah. that when we stay in the victim role, what we're looking for is a hero to rescue us. Yeah. Great. And we're our picker is off and we're not going to pick because love bombing and narcissists can look like the hero who's going to rescue us. Absolutely, and We are the damsel in distress and it just gets into an unhealthy dynamic again. So right. if you, were, if you were hit by a bus, not your fault. You were hit by a drunk driver, not your fault. You're in the hospital in intensive care. You got to do your work if you want to get well.
2: That's right. That's right. And uh, yeah, that's a good analogy, you know, when you when you're in a serious accident to get healed and whole, you have to do your physical therapy and, you know, you do your exercises at home. You do you go to your your PT, you, you know, you you do whatever it needs to get back to wholeness. And that's the same when you you know gone through the buzzsaw of a of a destructive relationship. You have to do that because you don't heal if you just let time go by and and don't do the work. What I did was was start at the very beginning of the Bible and ask the Holy Spirit to walk with me and teach me from the very beginning to the very end. And then just like a movie, I thought, well, I probably missed something because when you see a movie twice, you catch it again. So I I went through it again. But that was such a Powerful experience to ask the Holy Spirit to really, and I and it took years to do that, but but when you see how much God loves us through the pages of the Bible and how much He really hates evil and mm-hmm. how much He hates destruction and all the promises that He that He gives us in there, and um, that really it, it helped my healing. It helped increase um, increase my faith. Um, that's that's a, invaluable for women to actually know, well, we can't know the truth unless we've read it, right? I mean, that's, that's our source. So it's hard to identify lies if you don't know the truth. So the part of, part of knowing the truth is get in there and read your Bible, girl, because when you read it through the lens of someone who's gone through um, domestic abuse, it's a, it's a whole different world.
1: Yeah. Even the Psalms, how much God cares for the oppressed the one who's being hurt and harmed by others. And Mm -hmm. so I agree, read your Bible, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, he gives us the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. Thank you so much, Charlene, for sharing your story and your wisdom and your experience in working with women. And it so mirrors what we experience working on our end. And thank you for being a guest with us. Oh,
2: it's such a pleasure.
1: Um, Thank you for having
2: me. This has been uh, a real privilege.
1: Would you be willing to pray for our listeners as they're... Struggling perhaps with seeing some things for the first time and feeling a little sad or a little anxious or a little hopeful. I'm not Absolutely. sure what you might be feeling, but but we're going to pray for you.
2: Absolutely. Oh, heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together, and we we ask your presence and your spirit just to pour out on the listeners of this podcast um, and those that Leslie helps uh, and and those that I help. Just. We ask you to open eyes perhaps for the first time to see um, what their relationships are truly like. And we ask for the truth to be revealed to them. Um, If they're in the midst of uh, removing themselves from abuse, Lord, we ask that you go before them and make their path smooth. Um, And we ask that you go behind them as well and and protect them from from the past. Um, Lord, we ask for your healing hand. You are Jehovah Rapha. The great healer. And so we we ask for for your healing to be on their heart. May each woman who is listening here see themselves as you see her. Um, And you see her as delightful and beloved. You sing songs over her. You rejoice over her. Um, And you made her uniquely and beautifully and wondrously like no one else on the planet to do a job that no one else on the planet can do. So we ask, Lord, that you fill her with your presence and with your strength and with your wisdom um, and, uh, and with your love as she goes forward. And uh, we know that you fight our battles for us, Lord. So we thank you and we praise you for fighting our battles, for being with us, for being who you are and for what you do for us. We ask all this in Jesus name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks so much, Charlene. If somebody wanted to read more about what you do in your support groups and things like that, where might they find you?
2: They can find me on abusecare.org. It's a pretty good place to, to pop in and, and find my information. There's information about uh, our Bible studies and the book, and um, there's a blog and just, uh, you know, getting in touch with me. So that's a good spot to, spot to find me at.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for being our guest. Uh, It's a pleasure.
2: Thank you. Thank you
0: for listening to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. If you need clarity on whether your marriage is difficult, disappointing, or destructive, go to leslievernick.com forward slash start for Leslie's free quick start guide. It's totally private and will help you get clear on your next step. Again, that's leslievernick.com forward slash start. Until next time, may God bless your relationships with him with yourself and with others.